Hello, everybody. Welcome as we continue on in our study uh, of the Old Testament. We have been plugging along at the Bible. It was a 20-year adventure when we started. We're eight years in. We have completed the New Testament, and uh, we've been working now in the Old Testament for uh, like two years, and we're making progress. We've done the book of Genesis, and we are well into the book of Exodus now, and so that's what we're looking at today. We're going to be in Exodus 34. Um, If you've been here, you know I like to study this way. It gives us context for the Bible. It helps us see how things fit together. Doing the New Testament first for all those years now helps us to see how the Old Testament fits into that and, and, um, you know, where there's uh, types of things happening in the Old Testament and fulfillments in the New Testament, particularly now when we're looking at the tabernacle and the priesthood and the Levitical law and how, you know, in Hebrews now we have the the perfect high priest and, and, you know, the perfect sacrifice and how Jesus fulfilled all those things. So we're, uh, we're working on that. Before I hop into the study in Exodus 34, let me say this, that this is, uh, this is, uh, this when we're, this is Wednesday. It's known as Ash Wednesday. Um, and, uh, for most folks, um, have heard that idea. It's the first day of Lent. Now, um, its official name is the day of ashes. Um, and it's called that because of the practice of rubbing ashes on the forehead uh, in the sign of a cross, um, which is practiced by parts of uh, um, parts of the Protestant Church and the Catholic Church, um, and has been since around 1000 A.D. And you might say, well, how come we're not doing that? Um, parts of the Protestant Church don't do that that whole deal. So, um, and, and, and absolutely, if it's part of your, your practice, it's all good. Uh, it's just not, not part of ours. Um, but, you know, I respect it, the idea. Um, and the reason, so it started, you know, much later. So it's, could people say, well, where is Ash Wednesday in the Bible? It's not. And then it's, well, where is Lent in the Bible? It's also not. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's bad if it's your thing. It's fine. And it, it's a good, it's, you know, it was there in the church to prepare people for Easter. That's why it starts. It's a 40-day run-up to Easter, which is the main event. And so it's a time to prepare our hearts, really, so that we celebrate Easter appropriately. So it just doesn't sort of get lost in the mix. And so Lent happens. Um, It starts today because it's 40 days to Easter. But you go, well, that doesn't seem to make sense. They don't count Sundays in Lent as on the run-up to Easter. So it's 40 days except Sundays. If you counted every day from now until Easter and didn't count Sundays, you'd hit 40 days. And, and oftentimes in Lent, what people would do is they'll, they'll decide to fast something or uh, in that way. And it's not to earn anything. It's not to appropriate anything from God. It's, uh, it's just to prepare ourselves spiritually for the main event coming up, which is Easter every year. All right? Now, you know, as believers in Christ, we celebrate Easter pretty much every day. Um, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. It's part of our lives. But there's just something about this time of year, and so that's what's happening uh, in the process. And so, uh, if you if you saw people around the day with with ashes on their forehead that they had been earlier today, those ashes usually come from palm fronds from the uh, Palm Sunday the year before, which are kept and then made into ash the following year. So, that's Ash Wednesday. I hope that's helpful. And uh, 
and that's good. And so it's, and it's always a Wednesday because it's 40 days from Easter counting backwards except Sundays. So there'll never be an Ash Thursday or an Ash Tuesday. It shall ever be Ash Wednesday. That's why it's there. If you celebrate Ash Wednesday and Lent, good for you. Um, and I, I think it's not, it's certainly not a, doesn't hurt anything to, uh, to prepare yourselves uh, spiritually for Easter. So we're, it's pretty exciting. We're 40 days out. And, uh, you know, we start getting ready for Easter here two months ago. <laughs> it's a main deal. So not like a, there's, there's a lot of main deals. But so we've been thinking and praying and asking God to bring his people. One of the things about that weekend is that um, there will be people who will be here. And it, it may be the first time that they've come. Um, or it might be the only time that we see them, you know, throughout the course of a year. And so we want... Uh, to do everything we can to put them in an environment where they can be impacted by the wooing of the Holy Spirit so they can come into the kingdom. So we spend a lot of time thinking and praying and, and uh, asking God to come and, and help us in those uh, services. And over the course of our history, we have added a lot of new people on Easter weekend that keep coming back. And so that's very cool. And a lot of people who came for the first time on Easter and and plugged in and stayed plugged in. So we have friends who who came, and uh, I, I'll, I'll never forget it because they came. And that particular year, I had sent out invitations, postcard invitations to the community, um, which we don't generally do anymore because there's enough of you now that I hand you flyers and tell you invite people, and it fills the place up. So, uh, but this was a different time, and so we were trying to get more and more people to come and. Uh, this, this couple came. Uh, their names are John and Shelley. They're friends of ours now. But he came in. And when he came in, uh, they were, and they came in sort of at a funny time. And everybody was sitting around eating. You know, it was in between services. And they kind of took a good look at that. And I hear this story. Two people look and go, wow, this is the right place. And you, they were kind of looking at their flyers in the hallway. And he's walking, you know. And, and I happened to be walking down the hallway. And I could tell that they were. And he said, uh, um, listen, we got this postcard. Is this the right place? And it's are you going to do this thing, church thing? Or is it done? Did we miss it? And uh, I said, no, no, we've done, we done one. We're, gonna, we're about to do another one. Come on in and get something. And they came, and they came back, and they came back, and they came to Christ, and they have been walking with Him ever since. They're heavily involved in ministry, and uh, they, they're, they've moved. But uh, God has used them in many places all over the world. And this is one story. So uh, I don't know how I got that far off track today, but there you go. It's a good story. So later on, when I'm having you invite people, that's why. Okay? All right. So we're in Exodus 34. And um, if you remember sort of the last couple of chapters, what's been going on is the great sin. Um, Moses had been up on the mountain with God, um, gone for about a month, you know, in this 40-day plan. And the people got tired of waiting for him to come back. And they took matters in their own hands. They convinced Aaron to sort of, you know, forget about Moses and make a, make a golden calf so they had a God that they could manage to worship. And they did. They gave their earrings, a golden calf. You remember Aaron's excuse, which is so funny. I don't know how it happened. They just threw their earrings into a fire and out popped a golden calf. Um, and, you know, but earlier we'd been told that he'd fashioned it and it was his idea. Anyway, um, God knows what's going on and tells Moses, you better go and see what these people are up to. Moses comes down the mountain, sees this. Um, in effect, what's happening is a big sort of orgy taking place. 
um, in this in this you know pagan worship ritual. Um, he has the Ten Commandments. He breaks them. He drops them and breaks them, and goes in and begins to deal with the people. Uh, and uh, um, it, it's a big mess. And and the and then yet we see that the people are repentant um, uh, over time. Some of them are dealt with immediately. Those people that were actually involved in the the orgy itself, about three thousand people, were just sort of dispatched by the Levites. And um, the rest of the people had an opportunity to repent, and they did. Um, God had said, that's it, I'm not going to go with you anymore. I'll make sure you're okay. I'll, I'll send you some sort of angel. But they, in effect, Moses had, had pled with him to please not do that. Please come with them. And, and he had said, okay, because the people repented and because of his friendship with Moses. So now um, Moses goes back up on the mountain, another 40-day stretch. And he's hanging out with God. Uh, and they're, they're sort of finalizing these things, and there's going to be a new issuing the Ten Commandments. Um, you know, they're going to be put back on stone. Um, and, you know, uh, Moses is, well, is still sort of interceding with him because um, he, he's, he's sort of wondering if, if the promise that God has made to accompany them, is he going to come, um, like, is he really going to forgive the people uh, and and walk with them once again, or you know, and accompany them, or is he going to come like a policeman, sort of watching a criminal, um, or is he going to be a, like a father caring for his beloved children? And the Lord answers that he's going to forgive them and come that way. When he, in effect, tells Moses, "Look, bring me up two new stone tablets, and uh, uh, I will write the Ten Commandments back in there," which is a renewal um, of the of the covenant that he had made with them. Um, just just recently. Um, the only difference this time, the first two, God himself had hewn the tablets and written in the tablets of the Ten Commandments. This time he's having Moses bring the tablets, but God himself will write the Ten Commandments on the tablets. All right? So, um, so that's what's happening. And if you remember the last time, uh, Moses had been allowed to see a glimpse of God's glory as he passed by. And that sort of leads us up to Exodus 34. 35 verses I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. Whatever translation you have is good. Your note should be the NIV that we passed out at the door. Exodus 34, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. 
The people you live among you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make cast idols. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in that month you came out of Egypt. The first offspring of every, room, of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. No one is to appear, be, uh, appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest you must rest. Celebrate the Feast of Weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory. And no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. And do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover feast remain until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in his mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you in Israel. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights, without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face, saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites, Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When, Mon when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what, it, uh, what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Blessed be the word of the Lord. All right. First few verses. Um, so the, the shattered Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, had to be replaced. Remember, they'd been broken when Moses came down and saw the idolatrous worship that was going on. And um, they needed to be replaced because the tablets um, served as sort of the commitment between God and His covenant people. And, uh, and as I said, this time Moses would have to get the tablets ready, but God would write upon the slate the same thing that He had written on the first one. Um, the first set had completely been done by God. This time Moses would write the, um, get, like I said, get the tablets ready. But Moses would, um, uh, but God would write on them the self. And the, the Ten Commandments were sort of the, 
the basic foundation of the legal system that was put, being put in place back then under the old covenant. So it was pretty important, and it was sort of a him, his God's willingness to do that was a sign that he was still with them. And um, pretty much everything we're going to look at um, in the rest of Exodus and in Leviticus will will be sort of hinging upon the uh, the Ten Commandments and um, what we understand about them. So that's got to happen again. Verses five through seven. Early in the morning, Moses climbs back up. Uh, to the summit of Mount Sinai. The Lord's presence came over him um, in a brilliant cloud. And uh, as Moses you know, said, basically, I'm here. The Lord shows up. And um, God proclaims himself there with... Uh, he makes a statement about who he is in verses 5 through 7, which is referred to many times in the Scripture. Um, he said that he was God. He was full of compassion, rich in grace, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, that uh, he would have compassion to those who had committed iniquity and transgression that results from rebellion um, uh, and their sin. And yet um, he would also uphold the moral law that there would be uh, reaping and sowing, that there would be consequence for, for doing things that they shouldn't do. And, and he says that he would hold those not only against the, the fathers but against their children if there wasn't repentance. Now, in any of those groups, understand that they could repent. Um, but children tend to go in the way of their parents, which is, if you're a parent, frightening. Because <laughs> um, it's, it's a big deal, right? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when you see your child do something and you think to yourself, well, that's not right, I wonder the way, where they learned that. And then you go, uh-oh. <laughs> I know exactly where they learned that. Um, which is why the admonition is for us to train our children, to teach our children, to, to make sure, you know, if we have our, that we, we're teaching them the ways of the Lord. If, if, we, if we weren't walking in the ways of the Lord when we had kids, we walk it out the best that we can now and, and pray that they, they catch up to it. None of us does that perfectly, but, but that needs to be in our hearts that we do that. Um, and... and Mo, uh, God is saying something here about punishing to the sins of this, uh, to, to unrepentant people and we know that because he said back in Exodus 20 verse 5 you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me so you can break that curse by loving God and loving God for your families and doing all those things so um, but, but there's reaping and sowing there's, there's uh, consequence um, and, and we just talked about this the other week I said it's, that's a kingdom dynamic that, that if you do things that you shouldn't there's, there's consequence and the reason there's consequence is so that you stop doing them um, and if there were no consequence you, would, you, you may never stop doing those things and that's God's mercy believe it or not, is that there's a consequence for doing things that you shouldn't do so that you stop doing them. Um, and that, that we need to be aware of that. The biggest exception is that all of us deserve death because of our sin, but God himself reaped the consequences of that action at the cross um, in Christ. And if we come to Christ, then, then we, we get you know passed over on that one, which is a huge deal. 
But um, in effect, he's saying that's, that's in effect, and that's a God thing, and it should be that way. Verses 8 and 9. Um, as, as God says these things to Moses, Moses is humbled, um, and uh, he, he pleads for the people again. He says, God, you know, we don't deserve it, but would you, would you come? We, we need you. And even though, uh, you know, they're stiff-necked people, um, uh, they, they need you. I think that's funny, too, because do you remember how difficult Moses was in the beginning? When we first started reading, when God came to him, God showed up and said, you're going to go do these things? Like, not me. No, go ahead. I'm going to let you. You're going to speak. Not me. Not, not stubborn at all, right? But now he's, you know, his encounters with the Lord, and, and so he's pliable and ready to go. Um, verses 10 through 14, where the Lord says, I'm making a covenant with you. Again, that's not a new covenant. That's a renewal of the first, the, the old covenant, the covenant that... Um, they operated under. Now there's going to be a promise of a new covenant up in Jeremiah, which is what we're under now, which is very cool. And that's when he says things like, um, you know, at that point in time, I'm going to write the law in their hearts, in effect, by the Spirit, and things begin to change, and that's what we're under now. Okay? Um, he talks about doing wonders uh, there that uh, the, the nations, you know, have never seen before. It's the same word that um, he used when, when the plagues happened back in uh, uh, chapter 3. And the wonders would be so outstanding that the people would be awestruck. Uh, and, and, and yet for Israel to benefit from, from God's miraculous display, they would need to be obedient to His commands. So as we start to read, God is going to do some stuff as the people move into the promised land. That is amazing. I mean, like He just, you know, people run um, from the, the, the people of Israel. It's just kind of showing up sometimes. And they... They march around and play trumpets and walls come down that we shouldn't. And, you know, stuff is going to happen. You're going to see it. And, and they're going to see it as long as they remain obedient to the Lord. They were also told in verses 15 through 17 that they were to be aggressive in their stand against the pagan religions of the Canaanite peoples that they were going to encounter. They were to tear down their altars. They were to smash their sacred pillars um, and, and uh, chop to pieces and burn to ash the wooden symbols of the Asherah poles and, and all of the false deities that were represented by those things. And, and that they, they were to just completely do away with them. God would not um, deal with divided loyalties and, and He doesn't want them engaging in any of that pagan uh, worship which they had been familiar with back in Egypt and which they'd been dealing with all this time in the process. He says, you know, I'm a jealous God. I won't deal for that uh, um, and that word could be jealous, it also could be zealous, depending on, on how it's translated. But, but he, um, he's just saying, you know, I want you to be wholly mine and to not get um, your worship polluted with this false worship. He also said, don't start to intermarry because what will happen is when you intermarry, the, the, uh, the people that you marry will drag you back into their false worship and you'll miss the true heart of it. And, and you're going to see how they all, they do this um, very quickly. They, they don't do what they're supposed to do. They allow these things to stand, the false gods and everything. They don't take them all down. They start to intermarry, and it causes the very problems that God warned them about. He reminds them again um, in verse 17, don't make any sort of molten, uh, don't cast molten metal into a god that you can worship, into a mold. 
um, he'd already said they shouldn't do that back with the Ten Commandments, and they had just done it with the golden calf, and he's saying, let's never, don't ever do that again. Um, and then uh, he reminds them of, of some things, and, and these things will be talked about more in verses 18 through 21. Uh, he reminds them again of the Passover there to celebrate. Um, that was the first celebration uh, of the year, um, and that would happen in, on the 14th of Abib, um, which, you know, is, is basically uh, April for us. Um, and um, they would celebrate in their homes at, in first as a representation of what they'd done uh, just before the Exodus. And then there would be a public celebration where um, the Passover meal was to be shared among all the worships that had celebrated, uh, assembled for the occasion. Um, they could only eat unleavened bread during the week. And, and um, that was going to be very important. And then he reminds them in verse 22 that uh, of the second big feast uh, was seven weeks after that one, Passover, uh, and it was called the Feast of Weeks, where they would count seven sevens, but they would count the day they were on because of the way they counted, so it was 50 days, so it became known as Pentecost. He's talking about it then. And then he, he talked about the Feast of Ingathering, which is more, you know, we know it as the Feast of Tabernacles. So remember, and we'll talk about this more, but I spent some time talking about the feast just, a, you know, at some point in this study because they're commanded the seven feasts and you'll see them start popping up. And Leviticus, when we get to Leviticus 23, uh, all of the feasts are listed there and exactly the dates and everything. But the, the seven feasts are, that they were commanded to was Passover and unleavened bread. Um, those are just a day apart. So they're kind of molding them here together. Um, Passover, unleavened bread, and then first fruits, which is the third day. And, and that those three feasts, Jesus has prophetically fulfilled at the cross and the resurrection. Um, he, he Passover, if you remember, it was uh, all about, you know, body being broken and all those things. That was all part of Passover. He, he fulfills it at the cross. Um, uh, unleavened bread, the body on the cross, and then um, first fruits, early first fruits was the resurrection and there was this little offering it's the smallest harvest but um, to, the, in Matthew there's this little group of people that rise from the dead when all the tombs were broken and pop out a few hundred folks that was the very first sort of celebration so Jesus is fulfilling those things and then um, the Holy Spirit fulfilled Pentecost perfectly 50 days after that so those four feasts have already been fulfilled the last three uh, of the seven are trumpets and atonement and tabernacles and we're, we're in the season between Pentecost prophetically and trumpets remember when Jesus comes back what's, what's happening when Jesus comes back what, what are we waiting for a big trumpet sound the end of the harvest that's what the, the, that's all about we're waiting on that one we're in that tension right now and then well when that happens trumpets atonement and tabernacles will all happen very quickly but the people of Israel were called to gather uh, as a nation for Passover they were supposed to leave wherever they were and come and celebrate Passover and Pentecost and tabernacles um, and that there was a promise that if when they left their land especially now though some of them are going to be sort of at a distance that God would divinely protect their their homes and their families while they were gone which is pretty cool because you know the leaving like that would have left everything pretty vulnerable but God says I'll take care of everything you just come that would keep the people together in community and it would be a pretty important 
sort of situation. Uh, they, they were uh, told not to use leaven in the bread during that time. And re- remember that um, Jesus talks about the leaven of the Pharisees, which was hypocrisy. It's a sign of that. Um, they were to set aside the farmers uh, the first tenth of their crop and bring them as an offering to the Lord. Um, they were reminded, again, and it, it, I know it sounds weird, not, um, not to boil a baby goat in the heated milk of its own mother, um, which was a horrific pagan practice. And so God is making sure that they distance themselves from that. Uh, and um, Moses is told in verses 27-32 to... Um, to write down all of the regulations and stuff that God had just been given him so he could share it with the people and to, uh, to tell the people about it when he gets down there. This is what God says. This is what we need to do. And they need to make sure that they listen this time. And um, he's going to come down and read them everything um, that they'd said. This time the people um, were patient. They hadn't, praise God, made another false god. <laughs> Because Moses was gone another 40 days. After the last time that didn't go well, they decided to wait and be patient. Moses comes down. When Moses comes down, his face is all radiating. He didn't know it, but he was like glowing from being in the presence of the Lord. And so it freaks the people out. So he puts a veil over his face so they can't see it. And that apparently every time he would go and be with the Lord, his face would get radiated. Um, but Moses eventually, we're going to read, he'll use that to his own advantage because if he, if he, even if he hasn't hung out with the Lord... Um, but he needs to want to go and tell the people something. He'll put the veil on so they don't know. <laughs> Watch, it'll come. It's pretty cool. Got to like Moses. Um, so, so that's kind of uh, Exodus 34, and we'll, we'll pick it up from there. The next time we get together, that's a lot to cover, but there's a lot going on right now um, in the Old Testament, and uh, it's good to see the people responding to God and what that looks like, and that they're a big mess, but but God is going to see them through it. So I'm going to finish there. If you're watching my video, thank you for doing that. Love for you to come and visit us when you get a chance. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a place for prayer, and we will pray for you. Okay, if you have prayer requests, you can pass them up to me, and uh, I will pray for you before we go, and hopefully somebody upstairs is going to shut off that recording. <laughs>